Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. You'll recall a few weeks ago in our exploration of Nannerl Mozart that we talked a little bit about the pieces that were written for her as a young pianist to practice and learn from. And that got us thinking back to the days when we were taking lessons as young children and how lessons were broken down into theory lessons, skills like scales and arpeggios, etudes, and a concert performance piece. And often during these long summer months, when major performances weren't upcoming, the bulk of lessons would be taken up by the etude sections. And so today, we're going to look at a composer who is now most well-known for his etude compositions, and really not much else. And that composer is Friedrich Bergmüller. Friedrich Bergmüller was born in Germany in 1806. His father was an organist, and he also had a very musically inclined younger brother, Norbert. Interestingly, Norbert was really the talent of the family, but apparently he lacked ambition. Friedrich, on the other hand, was still talented, and quite determined. Friedrich Bergmüller was taught by Ludwig Spohr and Moritz Hauptmann, two influential musicians at this turning point between the classical and romantic eras. Apparently, his lessons with these teachers did him good. In 1830, Bergmüller entered a piano concert competition and won. And so this meant great things for his career, though he was not quite the piano prodigy that we have been talking about in recent weeks with the Mozarts, as he was 24 by this time, rather than just an infant. In 1832, he moved to Paris, which was quickly becoming a new and worldly hub of the Romantic musical era. He soon adjusted his musical style to fit with the tastes of the Parisians, and was a hit. Now, in the past, in this podcast, we have alluded to the difference between the music of different nationalities, and this is sometimes a difficult thing to convey. With regards to piano music, the German tradition seems to be much more concerned with the Sturm and Drang of the era. They value emotion, expression, and the skill of being able to convey those things through the playing. The French, on the other hand, seem to be more into the aesthetic of the music. And so yes, it still has the romanticism and emotion, but it's often lighter and more flowy. Yeah, now, if you think about it, both sounds do seem to match their respective countries. And, as we'll get into in a little bit, the transition to the French style might have been what allowed Bergmüller to have any fame at all. And while in Paris, Bergmüller wrote nice chamber salon music, lots of piano music, and two ballets. However, one of his most commonly played orchestral pieces isn't even actually in one of his own works. He wrote a short pas de deux, which is a dance for two in a ballet. This is included in most productions of Adolphe Adam's hit ballet, Giselle. Bergmüller never returned to Germany after settling in Paris. He lived there for 42 more years and died in 1874 at the age of 68. So let's delve into some of his piano music. Bergmüller published several different collections of etudes. And today, in particular, we're going to be looking at a few of the etudes from his collection titled 25 Easy and Progressive Studies, which are ideally suited to the young pianist. Being an excellent pianist himself, 
Bergmuller was familiar with common problems of learning the instrument, and while in Paris, he probably also gave piano lessons, and was therefore familiar with the common problems of teaching the piano. This is all wrapped up into the concept of pedagogy, which is the art or science of teaching. And of course, anyone who is a teacher attends many lectures all the time about how to teach better, or rather how to trick people into learning. <laughs> teaching music has its own set of unique demands and challenges, and works such as etudes, the French word for study, are part of the tricks to help people learn. So I have a small anecdote about etudes, if you'll indulge me for a moment. My piano teacher once said to me that she didn't necessarily like it when pieces were titled etude, because she brought up the point that as a student, or even a professional performer for that matter, anything that you are going to play, you have to learn first. So in that case, everything is technically an etude. However, this story also serves to illustrate the point that while any piece can be an etude, any etude can be a piece. And that's where Mr. Bergmuller comes into this discussion. Many piano teachers have used Bergmuller's book of 25 studies for young students for the following reasons. The note range is consistently less than an octave, and this is very important because many young students have a smaller hand width than an octave. It's very important that a student is able to actually play all the notes and chords in a piece, because while they should have a challenge, a physical limitation that they have no control over is not good morale for wanting to continue practicing. These pieces are also very straightforward. They were written with the intention of being for students, not for virtuosi, and so they don't get into technical detail of, say, a list fantasy, for example. And finally, as we've alluded to, each of these pieces really is an actual piece of music. So, though they're not the most emotional or dramatic pieces you've ever heard, they are pleasant, and for a young child, they could really serve as a performance piece, because they are musical. And it's far more interesting to play something melodic and nice, rather than just something repetitive and unfeeling like scales. But you do have to know your scales to play these pieces. And as we've said, that's where the trick of them comes in. For example, in Etude number 2, titled Arabesque, the main melody is fast-paced and based almost entirely on a minor scale. So the rhythmic nature of this piece would encourage a young student to both learn the scale pattern and play all the 16th notes evenly, thus developing finger control. What's even better is that in the middle of the piece, the left hand gets to join in the fun of playing scales. It's very important that both hands get worked out so that finger control is consistent. These pieces also teach phrasing, an important skill for when a student graduates into more substantial works. In Etude number 6, titled Progress, fittingly enough, Bergmuller <laughs> has a melody that goes upward in the first half of a measure and downward for the second half. He has written in what are known as hairpin dynamics, meaning a crescendo and decrescendo marked right next to each other, which makes them look like a set of hairpins. And this type of phrasing, although subtle, is very common in all music, as it helps build drama with raising action and resolves phrases with falling action. Learning it early will make it a habit for later pieces. With his etudes, Bergmuller also attempts to introduce different styles of music. The first two etudes we've looked at so far have been more song-like, 
but there are others in the collection that are more dance-like, such as Etude Number 14 titled La Styrienne, and it has an actual tempo marking of waltz. And this is actually a pretty jazzy little piece, with chromatic non-chord tones and grace notes. Bergmuller's main point with this piece seems to be teaching the waltz style, as he writes very stylized accents that clearly show a heavy downbeat of each measure and lighter second and third beats, which is a hallmark of all the great waltzes. And of course, in actual waltzes that you might play in a performance setting, those marks might not be written in, but after playing the Lasterian Etude, you will understand instinctively how it's supposed to be performed. One of the most famous etudes in this collection is number 15, titled Ballade. Recall the title of this collection is Easy and Progressive Studies, meaning that if you go through the book in order, the pieces get more challenging as your skill has, hopefully, developed. So we see in number 15 a faster pace and more dynamic finesse required of the student, with rapid 16th notes in the left hand that make larger jumps up to suddenly accented downbeats. And this piece also takes our waltz knowledge we just learned in number 14 and asks us to apply it in context in the middle of the section in this etude. We must remember to play with heavier downbeats so the melody can be heard over the lighter chords played in the left hand. Overall, you can tell that these are easier pieces. They were written with specific ideas in mind and a target audience rather than for a composer's own expressive purposes, but you must agree that they're not wholly unpleasant to listen to. Thanks to Bergmuller's work on his extensive etude collections, students are able to go on to be better performers with the great works that are full of feeling and not be bogged down by a lack of technique. So we've hoped you've enjoyed a slightly different look into a different type of music, the learning music, I guess, of etudes here on this week's episode of The Coffee House. If you did enjoy what we do, consider leaving us a review on iTunes or Google Play and sharing this episode or any of our other extensive catalog with a friend who's also inclined to listen to classical music. For The Coffee House Classical Music Podcast, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening. Etudes number 2, 6, and 15 were performed by Mississippi College Piano Pedagogy. Etude number 14 was performed by Theo Vincent IV. You can find the Copyhouse on iTunes or Google Play. Be sure to like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, and share your favorite episodes with your friends. You can email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com. 